Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. We're going to pick up in a moment with uh, verse 30. But with last week being Easter, we stepped out of our study in, in John just for the week. So I want to remind you where we were uh, the week before. Uh, Jesus had made a presentation, probably uh, a formal presentation to uh, the theological leaders of the day. Some commentators say it would be more like a Uh, a seminary class, something uh, like that, as he was talking about who he is. And in that presentation, he made claim after claim that he is equal to God and that he is God. And as we we imagined uh, the religious leaders of that day just on each claim, you know, their faces getting redder, their blood pressure uh, uh, going up, uh, them being more and more upset as he claimed, first of all, there was a unity between the activity of Jesus and the Father, and then that there was a bond of love between him and the Father. And then he claimed that he was the giver of life. And then he claimed he was the judge. Remember? You're looking at your judge. And then he said to them basically that uh, how they treat him indicates what they think of God the Father and that Jesus' power resides in his actions and his word. And so by this time, the wrath of those who were hearing this was about to explode. This is what it says in John. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, if you remember, this was on the heels of uh, a healing that took place on the Sabbath. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, it's important to, to be reminded of that, because here's the thing, there are always people that uh, for some reason want to take Jesus off the hook and say, look, he never thought he was God. This was other people's ideas, and then he got all caught up in it. And, and you know, the, the people in that day didn't, didn't really think that was the case. The Pharisees absolutely understood what he was claiming, and... That is what he was claiming. And so two weeks ago, we concluded with, with uh, uh, 
what C.S. Lewis made famous in terms of uh, calling it a trilemma instead of a dilemma, a dilemma, uh, that there were basically three options then. Either he was a, a first-class liar, that's what Jesus was, or he was crazy, or he was who he said he was. And those were the options, the options that we are left with, even as those were the options they were left with. But he didn't just leave them there with, with this statement. Then he goes on to talk to them of who are witnesses. He's, he's saying, this isn't just me saying this. You need to understand that there are witnesses that are affirming what I've just declared to you. And that's the section we come to picking up with verse 30 of John 5. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I... I say these things so that you may be saved. He, meaning John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from the people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will uh, accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. But if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together.
Lord, will you illumine our hearts, even as in the song we just sang, we prayed. We're asking you to, to be our teacher, to move us toward you, to, to examine our hearts, and then to reveal really where we are with you even whether we know you or not. And so will you use your word today among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So rather than leaving them with basically his theological statement, which, by the way, if he is who he says he is, That's all that was necessary. But he condescends to these who were human, these who had uh, fences built up because of their uh, theological learning. He condescends to them And says, some of you aren't even hearing what I am saying. And here's what you need to know. There are others that are affirming this. He says in verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, first reading, you're going wait a minute, that just contradicts what you just said, that if, if, he's, really, if he's really the Lord, that's all that's, that's necessary. So let's talk about the, the nature of witness. Uh, when Jesus says this, he is not saying that it is objectively not true if I'm the only one that says it. Of course it's true. Once again, I'm convinced that he is condescending to indicate that he understands that that for their sake, that's not enough just for someone to stand up and say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. After all, there were plenty of other people that had done that, false Christs. And so he understands that that's not enough for them. He knows that in Jewish law, a verdict is established by two or three witnesses. As I was uh, reading our St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church challenge uh, the week before Easter, I read in John chapter 8. I know you all read this too, but I'm going to read it to you again uh, just to remind you what it says. Uh, in, In John 8, we see why Jesus said, what he says here in John 8, verse 12, it says this. Now, this is in, the, in a, a context of he's about to claim to be the light of the world. Uh, eight twelve. again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever fo- uh, follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. 
He understands that's going to be their reaction. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Uh, Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. There's another claim. We'll get to this in, in a few weeks. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Of course, Jesus would know their law, right? I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So, basically, here he is addressing what he knew would be their issue. So let's go back to John 5, verse 32, where he says this, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And then verse 37, which I see those verses as as explanatory, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who he has sent. So, I know, I've read, you, I've read a lot of scripture, and uh, let me just summarize, basically, what we're saying here. Jesus is basically saying, I know, I get it. If I just stand up here and say these things, that's not enough for you, even under your law, you would require two witnesses. And he says, okay. I've got another one. It's God. That's my other witness. Now, they're going to have to decide, is God the Father really the other witness? And so he's actually going to provide some more witnesses, but all of them have their root, all of them have their foundation in it coming from God the Father. So let's look at the other witnesses that he mentions. He doesn't just provide two. He provides uh, several here. Uh, The first one is uh, in verse 33, you sent John and he has borne witness to the truth. You sent to John, rather, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So the first, uh, he, he mentions God the Father is, is my witness, but here he's saying, what about John the witness? You know, I've kind of tongue-in-cheek called him John the witness instead of John the Baptist, because he actually, that was his role, it was much more to be a witness of Christ than the act of baptism. Bap- baptizing was something that, uh, that he did, but his whole role was to be a witness. But notice that Jesus quickly clarifies in verse 34. He says, because they had sent to ask John, what about this guy? So he says, you were paying attention to what he was saying. And so 
He quickly clarifies, though, by saying, verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man. He wants to make sure that uh, the truth that Jesus is Lord is not ultimately founded or based just upon John or John's witness, because if it was based on a human witness, that's basically de-establishing the fact that the ultimate authority is God himself. So it's not about a human being, and he makes that clear. So why use John then? Well, partly, as I mentioned, because the Jewish leaders themselves had, had recognized him as special. They had sent to him to, to find out about Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, you were listening to him when he was preaching. Why are you, why are you now not listening to him? Because what he is now saying is he John is saying he, Jesus, is the one. He's the one that I've been preaching about. Now, almost a sidelight, I want you to notice the statement that Jesus makes about John. Verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp. Oh, you know, John, John wasn't dead yet, but what an epitaph. He was a burning and shining lamp. But even in that statement, he is distinguishing between himself and John. Earlier in the gospel, it said that, that John was not the light, but he testified to the light. Later in John, John 8, Jesus is going to say, I am the light. In other words, he's the source. But what John was, was a lamp that pointed to the actual light. And that's the kind of witness that we need in our day in our church, in our community. A burning and shining lamp. Jim Elliott, who uh, was a missionary, and uh, he was known, I mean, he's known for many things, but one of the reasons he's known is because he was martyred. Uh, he, he gave his life uh, as a missionary. He wrote this in his journal. God, I pray, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life. And if you know anything about Jim Elliott's life, he was never idle. Light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn up for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. And then he asks the question, Am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dead asbestos of other things. Saturate me 
with the oil of the Spirit that I may be aflame. When I read that quote, I used that in the teaser on the city this week. When I read that quote, it, it caused me to keep asking myself that, that question. Am I ignitable? God, will you, will you remove any of those, that dead asbestos that will keep me from being ignitable, that dead asbestos of things in my life that would keep me from being ignitable, being that, that flame that would burn for him. I want to encourage you to, to pray that prayer. God, am I ignitable? And if not, will you remove from my life that which is keeping me from being able to be a burning and shining lamp for you? And then... We see the next testimony that Jesus points out, and that is his miracles, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So far, I know we tend to think there's miracle after miracle. Well, in John, so far we've had three Miracles. I believe there's seven in the in the in the whole gospel. Um, but uh, here we've had three so far. The first miracle was transforming water into wine, and in that miracle, what we see is the unity, like he had just claimed, the unity between his works and the works of the Father in terms of being the Creator. We talked about. Uh, that miracle and what it revealed about Jesus. And then the second miracle was the healing of the royal official's son. Uh, we see Christ's ability to overcome the effects of living in a fallen world when he heals from sickness. That's why there's sickness. That's why there's death, because there's sin in this world. And there are times where he he temporarily dealt with that until he went to the cross and until he comes back and he will permanently deal with the fallen world. So that was the second miracle. And the third miracle was the healing of the lame man by the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath. And that led to this confrontation that led to this statement and so on. And in that, if you remember, the man's by the pool. What does this reveal about Jesus? What's it reveal about how God works? Well, that man is just a, a beautiful picture of being helpless in terms of he couldn't help himself. He couldn't, he couldn't get up and move toward Jesus even if he was the healer. He couldn't even drag himself to the pool, which is where he thought the healing would be. And so there we see man's fallen condition. And we see what our condition was before coming 
to Christ before he sought us out, that we were totally impotent when it comes to anything spiritual, just like that man was, totally unable to help ourselves. The miracles, now here's what we need to know about his works, his miracles. The miracles by themselves don't produce faith. Even Satan can do fake miracles. We even saw that back in uh, uh, the Old Testament in the Exodus where the, the uh, court magicians were able to do a lot, a lot of imitations of what Moses was doing by God's power. What the miracles do is they reveal more and more of God and his nature and his deity. One commentator put it this way. In John, the miracles are not occasioned by, by faith. I'll read it and then explain it. They are occasions for faith. They're given to provoke faith and strengthen it. So what he means by, by that statement, in John, the miracles are not occasioned by faith. You know, a lot of times we will, we will uh, hear that, uh, well, you've you got to have faith if you're going to get healed or if you're going to experience this miracle. And we see hints of that in, in, in other Gospels, but in John, what we see instead, it's not about the faith of the recipient. They are occasions for faith. They're given to provoke faith or to strengthen it. To provoke faith for those that don't have it. Strengthen it for those who do. That's a witness to Christ, his works. And to this day, his works among us are a witness to him. And then the next witness from God is the Bible. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Here's what John Calvin said uh, about this idea. We must hold that Christ cannot be properly known from anywhere but the scriptures. Now, what's that tell you about whether you need the Bible or not? If, if Calvin's right, that Christ can't be properly known from anywhere but the Scriptures. And if that is so, it follows that the Scriptures should be read with the aim of finding Christ in them. Whoever turns aside from this object will never reach the knowledge of the truth. For Christ did not first begin to be manifested in the gospel, but the one to whom the law and the prophets bore witness was openly revealed in the gospel. So Calvin is saying, look, Christ was revealed all the way through the Old Testament. He didn't start in the gospels. That wasn't the first time we know anything about him. In fact, all the way through the scripture, he is revealed and then he's manifested in the gospels. He's the central focus of all scripture. But that was a problem for the Jews in Christ's day. 
And that is, that's what he refers to then in verse 47 when he talks about Moses. I mean 45 rather. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you've set your hope. See, they would keep referring back to the law and to what Moses said. Jesus is saying, okay, you set your hope on Moses. He's the one that's going to judge you. He's the one that's going to testify against you. Verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In 2 Corinthians 3, it says this. Their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed. Now, you may be thinking, Dale, are you saying this to explain why the Jews today can't see Jesus? Yeah, that's part of it. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger because it includes any any who have that opportunity, who hear that word, who hear not just of Moses, but the truths of the gospel. And some of those, and this is the scary part, some of those may be even among us. What about us? You have been challenged to read the Word of God every day. We did our St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church uh, challenge, and those cards are still available. They have the verse of the year on one side, and on the other side it has uh, Scripture that you can read. And, you know, if you're, if you're thinking, ah, I'm, I'm too far behind, there's no point in starting now. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's think this through. No, start now. Don't worry about the early part of the year. You've been challenged to do that. Some of you said uh, that you've really enjoyed that. And you've come to me almost as if it's a dilemma and said, what do we do when we get done with the card? And... If I was in the right mood and I felt like you could handle it, I, I, say, I say something like, oh, well, you're done reading the Bible for the year then. You're fine. You've done enough. Some of you have gotten that answer. You know you have. Well, here, here, here's the good news is that we're going to follow it up with a, a second challenge for the rest of the year. Whew, now you'll know what to do, Right? But here's the, here's the caution I want to give you. First of all, I want, I want all of you to jump in and do it. Because I have heard so many say how meaningful it's been reading a, a gospel each day from one of the gospels each day and a, a psalm 
each day. Doesn't take that long most days. But here's the caution. There's little boxes you can check. And you know what our tendency is going to be? To become Pharisees about it. And, and to, to, you know, to just read through, just so we can check the box. Okay, I guess I can have a good day now today. God will bless me because I checked the box. It doesn't work that way. And that's the caution. I'm warning you of the same thing that Jesus warned the Pharisees of. Don't do the reading just so you can check the box and miss the message. If you do all of that reading and you miss Jesus, you've missed the whole message. And that's what Jesus was saying here. That's the witness. It's in the Word. And we have freely been given the Word of God. And as Calvin says, that's where you're going to find Jesus. Let's bow together. Lord, will you keep us from becoming like the the Pharisees where we just go through the motions and miss the message? Where we hear from, from Moses but don't hear who he's talking about? Will you cause us, Lord, when we open up your word, Will you cause us to see Jesus? Will you remove that veil that can so easily be there? Will you remove that asbestos that can insulate us from being ignitable for you? Lord, we know we can't do that ourselves. We will fail every time. We need you to do it in our lives. Give us hearts that are open to that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.